Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to New Heights Educational Group Radio Show. My name is Kaden Behan, your host and a volunteer for New Heights Educational Group. Today's topic is going to be on teacher education and how it affects students, um, mostly affects public school students and charter school families as well. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group, educational resources to help reach your goals. So now let's move on to today's topic. Uh, It's a very interesting one that I came across. I wanted to... um, Discussed because I know that New Heights Educational Group uh, Inc. focuses a lot in providing resources and educational um, resources as well for homeschool families, uh, and they also do provide resources to charter school and public school families. And a lot of times I know that Pamela has expressed in many of the families that we cater to express that they are dissatisfied somewhat in the public school district and how it handles the education of their children and other families. So I found this website called the United Federation of Teachers. Uh, It's www.uft.org that talks a lot about education and the issues involved with public school education. And I found that it all came down to the preparation of teachers, how teachers are being evaluated, um, and how teachers are being held accountable for how they handle the classroom, how they teach their students, and how they involve their students to become individuals that are not only capable of thinking on the academic level, but also participating in society as a well-rounded and organized individual. So on this uh, website, I came across Hot Topics in Education, and I'm going to read you just a little bit of information from this website that I've found very, very informative and useful, especially for those interested in education and understanding what issues are causing some of the dissatisfaction in public school and charter school districts. The field of education has undergone seismic shifts over the past decade. How should we train new teachers? What constitutes as effective teaching? What are the elements of a quality education? How do we close the achievement gap? How should we evaluate our teachers? How should teachers be compensated? What role should standardized testing play in holding students, educators, and schools accountable? These questions have triggered an intense debate among politicians, scholars, and classroom educators themselves. 
In this section, we will provide an introduction to the currents of thought that are shaping the teaching profession today, as well as links to scholarly and government resources on each hot topic. The resources and articles we link do not necessarily reflect the opinion of the United Federation of Teachers, again, where I'm getting this information. So we're first going to talk about the teacher evaluation information that they have here. Most educators would say that effective teaching can make an enormous difference in how much and how well students learn. But how do I, we identify an effective teacher? Consciousness on the, that point is harder to come by. For years, teachers in New York have rated either S, satisfactory, or U, unsatisfactory, have been rated. These, uh, these scores based on occasional observation by their principal. But in that system, teachers often worry that principals are basing their rating on subjective preferences. And such a simplistic up or down evaluation is of little or no use in identifying good teaching or in helping teachers develop their skills. Now, new evaluation systems are being tried in New York and across the country. Some states are creating what they hope are more objective rubrics for evaluating teachers in the classroom, ones that will use commonly agreed standards of good practice and will actually help teachers grow. The call for new evaluation systems has been pushed forward in part by the political enthusiasm to judge teachers by their test scores. Teaching, however, is a highly complex activity that requires many skills. A statistical formula based on test scores, even if it is accurate, might seem more objective, and that is not the case, of course, when the formula is based on a fairly narrow test and cannot control for many factors that affect student learning. A more accurate and useful evaluation system, educators say, would include both good measures of student learning and expert classroom evaluation. Against this backdrop, New York State has been overhauling its evaluation system. If properly implemented, the new system will embrace the growing cons consensus about the limits of any single measure of a teacher's work. It should also further the profession by offering opportunities for continued professional growth and support. So how do we evaluate evaluation systems? Here are some guidelines to help navigate the debate pulled from recent research and experience. A good evaluation system should advance a common vision of what good teaching looks like by providing professional teaching standards. Good teaching standards capture the best teaching practices without constricting teachers to prescribe methods of pedagogy. Professional teachers' standards focus on many aspects of teaching, such as the ability of the teacher to engage students. The teacher is content knowledge and the teacher's ability to create an effective environment for learning. They discourage evaluators from judging teachers based on personal or gut reactions. Thought it is that teaching, though it is that teaching that is measured by the standards, learning is actually captured because teaching to high quality standards facilitates learning. Excuse my cat, sorry. <laughs> Provide for the training of evaluators. Evaluators, of course, must have significant experience as teachers, but teaching experience alone does not prepare principals, other administrators, or peers to be evaluators. Training should be based on common rubrics for assessing effective teachers. Evaluations should not depend on those who are doing the evaluating. Evaluators should have practice observing teachers and matching their findings with other evaluators. Some areas, such as planning and preparation, are not directly observable and must be assessed based on a common guideline. 
This kind of training leads to the shared understanding of standards, consistent evaluations, and a better ability to distinguish teachers' strengths and weaknesses. Include multiple measures. Students' test performance is an important measure of learning, and teachers should be able to help students improve their scores. However, teaching is too complex to be caught in a snapshot test score. A fair evaluation should include multiple measures in addition to standardized test scores, such as expert-trained classroom-based observation over a substantial period of time. Varying measures of student performance, including projects and performance-based assessments, and an assessment of other contributions that the teacher makes to the school community. Provide a way to support and enhance skills of all teachers. Teachers never stop learning. An evaluation should help them move forward professionally, improving their teaching practice, encouraging self-reflection and goal-setting, and pointing the way to good professional development opportunities. Supports should also include access to the latest research and opportunities to share knowledge. All of these are at, heart of, are at the heart of good teaching. Finally, include a mechanism by which the system can be monitored and revised. Conditions change what's more, evaluation systems, even when well implemented, do not always work out as planned. A good evaluation system must include a mechanism that allows all parties to review and evaluate how well the system is working and make improvements as needed. I know that was a lot of information, but basically in relation to our topic today about teacher preparation and training and how to better the educational system in our schools, in our public and charter schools, um, the teacher evaluation is a big part of having teachers reflect on how well they're teaching the classroom, how well their students are learning, and it helps them as we've seen here in the article, to reflect on their personal and professional skills and to grow in these areas as well. If implemented the way that the article suggests evaluation systems should be implemented, there should be a less dissatisfaction in the teaching community of public schools. Additionally, we're going to talk a little bit about accountability. Who takes responsibility for the education of our students um, and our families? These days, it's almost impossible to discuss education without also discussing accountability. The idea that states, districts, schools, and teachers must face consequences if students do not experience academic success. A uh, little side note, um, if anyone would like to call in, I forgot to mention, our phone number is 347-633-9225. We would love to have you on the show. Uh, once again, uh, Back to our accountability, systems of accountability have proliferated across the nation since the advent of No Child Left Behind, which is part of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. This has tied public funding to student academic achievement, but the roots of accountability actually go back much further and grow out of America's longstanding frustration with the achievement gap between black and Latino students compared with that of their white and Asian counterparts. Accountability can take many forms, so that was just a, a little bit of history about the accountability of teaching and who's responsible. Accountability can take many forms and carry a variety of rewards and consequences for people and institutions that are responsible for raising student achievement. For example, states, districts, schools, or teachers might receive monetary rewards for exemplary achievement. Alternatively, if student achievement sags, schools might be closed, principals replaced, or funding removed. 
Overall, the great challenge of accountability systems is to ensure that they are fair, accurate, and transparent, and that they adequately acknowledge the obstacles to student achievement over which the schools themselves have no control. In the best of circumstances, accountability systems are collaboratively created with teachers and include 360-degree provisions. This means that districts and states must do their share to ensure that schools are adequately funded and include appropriate oversight. Good accountability, good accountability systems also measure student progress or growth, as well as overall achievement. For example, schools, principals, and teachers should be recognized for the gains that their students have made, even when students arrive below grade level. New York State has recently received an approval for an ESEA federal waiver that allows it to incorporate student growth into its accountability system, system for schools statewide. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest-growing, video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully-accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. Four things to keep in mind when looking for an accountability system are, one, accountability measures rely on the data that falls into two general categories. Quantitative data is generally numerical. Most of us think immediately of test scores, but graduation and attendance rates are other forms of quantitative data. In New York City, the school progress reports are a quantitative measure of school performance. Qualitative data relies more heavily on judgment. New York's quality reviews and evaluation of teachers by observation are both examples of qualitative accountability. All account number two, all accountability measures are flawed. No single measure can capture a school's or an individual's strengths and struggles, and no single measure is fully accurate in what it does capture. That is why a good accountability system will rely on multiple measures and resist the urge to view quantitative data as a sole indicator of success. Accountability produces unintended consequences, number three. Whether it is narrowing Sorry, whether it is narrowing of the curriculum or dumbing down of tests, increased paperwork or plain old cheating, it is given that the goal of any accountability system is often distorted by the threat or of, of consequences or promise of rewards. The phenomenon of goal distortion in accountability systems is often called Campbell's Law. Accountability systems created without considering the unintended consequences may produce, it might produce are doomed to fail. Accountability is, has provided us with increased information about our schools, number four. Because accountability measures are based on information about schools, a side effect, at least here in New York City, has been the increased availability of both qualitative and quantitative information about our schools. This information has allowed all constituents, constituents parents, patients, uh, parents, teachers, and school administrators to access a great deal of information that can lead to a more thoughtful decision making for our choice in schools. Again, a little summary of what we're talking about here uh, in relation to our topic is how do we go about um, accounting for who is responsible for the education of our students um, and for addressing the dissatisfaction with this educational system within our schools, especially I know that um, Pamela and many others that 
are um, a part of New Heights Educational Group have had some dissatisfaction with their school districts and the way in which they handle the educational system. Um, the reason why I wanted to read some of these articles and information on what makes a good accountability program or a good evaluation program is that these are very large parts of how to address the issues in schools, how to recognize them, and then how to further develop a plan to improve these issues um, and better address the education of students and improve upon it. The, um, one of the four, four of the examples in which this website, the United Federation of Teachers um, .org, addresses uh, how to maintain a proper accountability implement, implementation plan um, to better the education of both teachers in how to handle their classrooms, but also to, again, our main goal here is to better the education of the students overall. So now we're going to talk a little, a little bit about the pathways to teaching um, and get more into the core of teacher preparation programs. Traditional teacher preparation programs have long been criticized for offering too much theory and not enough practice reflecting the culture of the university rather than the schools where teachers go to work. Teachers often say that even after completing a master's, they felt unprepared for what they faced on their first day because they did not get enough supervised experience in the classroom. Alternative certification routes teaching that skip the theory and go straight to the classroom have other pitfalls. The recruits have fewer resources, such as professors or reading lists, to draw on when they start teaching and often insufficient knowledge of the pathology and the child development and child development. Alternatively, certified teachers tend to have high attrition rates. Leaders in the field say that teacher preparation programs should learn from both experiences. Schools of education should shift their focus to a more clinical work, hands-on, school-based training similar to medical internships. But this should occur while trainees are still under some form of mentorship, where they can practice and learn under the guidance of seasoned academics and practitioners. The education of teachers in the United States needs to be turned upside down. A blue ribbon panel of the National Council for Accreditation, Accreditation of Teacher Education wrote in its 2010 report, Transforming Teacher Education Through Clinical Practice. To prepare, to prepare effective teachers for the 21st century classrooms, teacher education must shift away from a norm which emphasizes academic preparation and coursework loosely linked to school-based experiences. Rather, it must move to programs that are fully grounded in clinical practice and interwoven with academic content and professional courses. This panel's report reflects the consensus of the nation's leading superintendents, education deans, and policymakers. But the preparation programs it calls for are a long way from the reality of most schools of education, unlike many countries that have a national system of teacher preparation with extensive practice and mentoring in the United States schools of education school of education follows all sorts of different approaches, and over the past ten years, various types of privately managed preparation programs have been allowed to, to excuse me have been allowed to fill the teaching ranks. 
alternative certification programs such as New York City's Teaching Fellows or the National Teach for America, which bypassed the traditional certification route, have brought thousands of teachers into the city schools, often top students from competitive colleges. Nearly 9,000 fellows and 500 Teach for America Corps members make about 12% of the current New York City teaching force. Many do not plan to make a teaching career, and there's going to there's an ongoing debate of whether this matters. In their 2005 study, Does Teacher Preparation Matter? Evidence about teacher certification, Teach for America, and teach effectiveness, teacher effectiveness, standard professor and education researcher Linda Daring Hammond and her colleagues found that an alternatively certified teachers were less effective and more likely to leave the profession. But a mathematical policy research study, the effects of Teach for America on students released in 2004, found that Teach for America teachers are, um, are outperforming traditionally certified teachers in math, while a recent Louisiana study found that teaching fellows did better than regular, regularly certified teachers. Whatever the case, alternative certification and traditional teacher preparation routes are now under an intense spotlight as districts and reformers try to measure teacher performance. With high stakes on decisions on hiring, retention, paying promotion often riding on these measures, the debate around pathways to teaching can get very heated. What sometimes gets lost in the debate is that excellent teachers come through all channels. In this climate, more teacher educators are seeing the advantages of a coordinated national strategy to prepare and certify teachers in the classroom that includes, but is not limited to, limited to hands-on school-based training. Although the successful policies in the 1970s eliminated shortages and contributed to the largest reduction in the achievement gap in our history, there is now no effective national policy to recruit to recruit, train, and distribute well-prepared teachers, wrote Darling Hammond in an Education Week commentary on March 16, 2011. Creating systems that address these needs, as the federal government has done in medicine, is a key to our children's future. So, again, a summary of uh, what the basic idea here is that there are multiple ways that teachers can pursue their degree or certification in teaching and right now this, these pathways are under much scrutiny due to the large dissatisfaction in education um, even though from the 1970s the achievement gap and issues in ed education has gone down. Um, the United States of America um, wants to now focus more on how teachers are being prepared and go back to the basics before they can determine what's the best route of improving the education in our schools. Basically, it comes down to the bottom line that teachers need to be prepared more efficiently before the education in schools can be improved. A little bit more on the, um, the education of teachers. I just wanted to read from what we mentioned in our in this report, the uh, Transforming Teacher Education Through Clinical Practice, and read just the summary. I don't think we have time to read the whole thing right now, but if you're interested, you can find it on nkate.org, n-c-a-t-e.org, and I'll just read the summary. 
The education of teachers in the United States needs to be turned upside down. To prepare effective teachers for the 21st century classrooms, teacher education must shift away from a norm which emphasizes academic preparation, coursework loosely linked to school-based experiences. Rather, it must, pollute, it must move to programs that are fully grounded in clinical practice and interwoven with academic content and professional courses. This demanding clinically-based approach will create a varied and extensive opportunity for candidates to connect what they learn with the challenge of using it while under the expert tutelage of skilled clinical educators. Candidates will blend practitioner knowledge with the academic knowledge as they learn by doing. They will refine their practice in the light of new knowledge acquired and data gathered about whether their students are learning. Today, there are many examples of excellent clinically-based programs and many are cited in this report. These programs can be found in higher education and in new pathways to prepare teachers. However, the nation needs an entire system of excellent programs, not a cottage industry of path-breaking initiatives. In order to make this change, teacher education programs must work in close partnership with school districts to redesign teacher preparation to better serve prospective teachers and the students they teach. Partnerships should include shared decision-making and oversight on candidate selection and completion by school districts and teacher education programs. This will bring accountability closer to the classroom, based largely on the evidence of the candidates' effective performance and their impact on student learning. It will also ensure professional accountability, creating a platform to ensure that teachers are able to own and fully utilize the knowledge base of, most effect, of the most effective practice. In this way, we believe public and professional accountability for candidate effectiveness can be aligned for the first time. Creating a system built around programs centered on clinical practice, um, which is another term for learning by doing, um, and also hold, holds great promise for advancing shared responsibility for teacher preparation, supporting the development of complex teaching skills, and ensuring that all teachers will know how to work closely with colleagues, colleagues students, and community. It will be a crucial step towards empowering teachers to meet the urgent needs of schools and the challenges of the 21st century classrooms. The vision for transforming the education of the nation's nearly 4 million teacher workforce presented in these pages may not come from one group, but from a diverse group representing a broad range of perspectives. And basically, it goes on to say um, who, who else has contributed to the study. Uh, just really quickly, I want to read what this organization believes should be done. Um, again, this is a study, Transforming Teacher Education Through Clinical Practice, a National Strategy to Prepare Effective Teachers, um, organized by NCATE.org. So what they believe should be done is uh, organized in, one, in, a, in a few ways. What needs to be done? We recognize that revamping teacher education around clinical practice is not only a matter of adding more hours for student teaching, ensuring improved mentoring of candidates, or adding new courses here and there, even though many preparation programs have made these significant improvements. This report recommends sweeping changes in how we deliver, monitor, evaluate, oversee, and staff clinically-based preparation to nurture a whole new form of student, a whole new form of student uh, of teacher education. Specifically, the report calls for more regular, rigorous accountability. All teacher education programs should be accounted for, accountable for, and their accreditation contingent upon how well they address the needs of schools and help improve P through 12 learning. 
strengthening candidate selection and placement in order to make a teacher education program more selective and diverse. The selection process must take into consideration not only test scores, but key attributes that lead to effective teachers. Three, revamping curricula, incentives, and staffing. It is time to fundamentally, fundamentally redesign preparation programs to support the, closing, the close coupling of practice, content, theory, and pedagogy. Supporting partnerships, state policies, policies should provide incentives, incentives for such partnership arrangements and should in, remove any inhibiting legal or regu regulatory barriers. Finally, expanding the knowledge base to identify what works and support continuous improvement. So these are, um, once again, very, very interesting article. It's quite large, so fortunately we're running out of time. But if you're interested, you can find this study um, by Googling Transforming Teacher Education Through Clinical Practice, a National Strategy to Prepare Effective Teachers. Um, and you can visit the United Federation of Teachers at www.uft.org. Thank you again for being on our, um, for listening to our show. Next week, we will be talking about child obesity and ways of preventing obesity among your children, how to eat healthy and things like that. Um, once again, thank you for listening. Uh, and for any more information on New Heights Educational Group, you can visit www.newheightseducationalgroup.org. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.